Hey, you're about to listen to Trek Off, but before you do, I wanted to let you know that there is another podcast called Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. It's me and my buddy Arthur. We go through the Batman movies, the X-Men movies, the Avengers movies, movies like The Crow and Dr. Horrible and more. So please, while you're listening to this, hop over to wherever you subscribe to podcasts and subscribe to Totally Super. Okay, here's Trek Off. It's time for Trek Off. Set phasers to love. Welcome to Trek Off. My name is Justin, and today um, Alexia is unfortunately on assignment. She has been posted to a deep space assignment where she is investigating uh, the sensual practices of Klingons, um, and she needed to get some therapy afterward, uh, ripped shoulder, uh, severed fingers, uh, but she's going to be fine, as far as I know. And bat let wounds are quite terrible, and she is recuperating from her love battle with the House of Moog. So I am here to do a trek up by myself, uh, but not just by myself, because I do have some things that I have been provided by some of our friends and fans. So today, what we're going to do is we're just kind of going to do a trek off grab bag where I go through some of the questions that, or rather responses I got to a question that I posted on Facebook, which is simply ask me some stuff about Star Trek. Uh, so we're going to start off with Jason Von Steets. Uh, sorry if I'm massacring that name. Jason Von Steets asks... <clears throat> Top five best and worst ideas for a future Star Trek series. Top five best and worst ideas for a crossover, e.g. Star Trek versus Jason X. And top five characters from another fandom that would have uh, for an episode of the week, would have worked as an episode for the week, or a villain on a holodeck uh, program. So that's three questions. Let's do the first one. Five best and worst ideas for a future Star Trek series. So the so Discovery is doing a lot right now in season three, spoilers for season three of Discovery, of what I really wanted to see done i feel like they're taking the plot for season three of discovery from a, a an abandoned animated series that they were going to develop about like late it was going to be like 150 years not 900 years in the future but uh the idea that the federation has collapsed and there's a new ship going out there when warp travel is going to be very very difficult to reestablish the federation that was going to be the plot of a star trek series and of a, a star trek animated series and that ended up being used very heavily in Star Trek Discovery. So that was a plot that I wanted to see. And I'm going to put that out there straight up um, as the first one, even though it's being done. I would have loved to see that animated series where it was just that was the focus of the series, that you had a ship that could not return to the Federation, sort of the we're out there and we can't go back home like Voyager was. But the reason they couldn't get, go back home was not because they were stuck like far, far away in the Delta Quadrant, but rather because they have a mission that they need to go back out. And the fun thing about that was going to be very much what they're doing in season three of Discovery, which is the idea was that Cardassians were nice now and Romulans were nicer, but but Klingons are now your total enemies as are Vulcan. Like the idea is that you just sort of mixed up what all of the allegiances and alliances were and then what happens when you mix those together. I think you could have gotten a few good seasons out of that for a Star Trek series. Uh, so that's number one on my top. I also uh, would love to see, and again, this is a series that is coming out, but I, and so it's sort of cheating, but Brave New World, uh, or Strange New World, sorry, which is going to be the Captain Pike series that's coming. I'm very excited about that to see 
you know, given what they can do now with Picard and what they can do with Discovery and how they can make things look, I would love to see an original series Enterprise series on the Enterprise. And I think that would be cool. We've talked at length about that on this show. And Alexia has espoused many times that she doesn't want that to tie so closely into the original series, but rather for it to live on its own. Uh, because frankly, she took her a long time to accept Chris Pine as Kirk and to ex- to accept both Ethan Peck and Zachary Quinto as Spock, and that it might just be a bridge too far to go, here's more Enterprise crew. Um, and it does sort of have to deviate further and further from canon. So that is a, a series that, that I would like to see as a series that they have coming out. I am of the opinion, of course, that I would love to see more original series stuff because I'm a sucker for that. Uh, the third series is hopefully something that they will do maybe now that they can with the way that they don't have to build whole sets for everything that they want to do. But I would love to see a DS9 reunion series, much like the one that we have with Picard. Now, I know there was a DS9 series of books, and unfortunately, I think the series we would have to do would have to invalidate what happens in the books because it would be too much history to go back. Here's all the stuff that happened before, but I would love to see basically the people in DS9 having to get back together. I don't want to see a whole show of it, but rather like a good 10 episode limited series. Um, I love, I would love the idea of it centering around a slightly younger crew, not a young, like, like kid crew, but you know, Jake is in his forties now. There's no reason that you couldn't have some of the younger people on there. Esri certainly would be up into her late 40s as well, late 40s, uh, even into early 50s. Maybe I don't know how old Nicole DeBoer is, uh, but there are there's real opportunity for some of the younger characters to shine and then have the Deep Space Nine characters in the background also doing their thing. I, I sort of it's sort of like Picard, um, but with more of the legacy DS9 characters. So I would love to see that. So that's my third. My fourth is similar to that in that there was a long talk uh, or, or talk long ago about how if there was a movie post Nemesis, it would have brought together some members of the crew from other stuff. Now, I love that Seven has found her way into the Picard show. I think it's a brilliant choice and she's a wonderful character on that show. I'd like to see more of that. I love the idea. One of the things that Marvel does well, you know, spoilers for WandaVision. Uh, we ju- I just finished watching WandaVision. One of the things about WandaVision is that like you have a character, Darcy is from Thor. You have a character from Ant-Man. You have a character from, you know, Monica Rambeau. You have a character from Captain Marvel. You have characters from all, all over the Marvel universe can pop in. And Marvel's been doing this a lot lately where you have a, a movie that centers around thing, but you can, one thing, but you can pull everything in. Well, what has a richer universe than Marvel? Only one franchise I think could say that and that's Star Trek and I'm not slamming Star Wars or any other franchise but Star Trek simply has so much content so many characters when you have had as many shows as you've had right I think we're talking about six or seven I can't even keep track of how many series we've had anymore um seven I think seven eight series with casts in all of those series you know how fun would it be to see you know Ezri and Dr. Bashir and Jordy, and you know what I mean? Like you can put together a crew of of sort of cherry picking from this crew and that. Um, and I think it would be fun to see a series, maybe an anthology series, where you have two or three episodes in a row and it's one big story, like a dark mirror or something like where where you can have like little mini three-hour movies with one little set of crew, and then you do another one, another one. So I think that would be really fun. Uh, to see a mashup of different Star Trek characters having to go on adventures with each other. And I would love to see that. Um, And what else? uh, Gosh, Star Trek has given us so many 
iterations of Star Trek that I would love to see that I I am I'm excited about everything they have. Is there another is there a fifth best series that is something other than Picard? Um gosh, I think that if I had to go for a 5, I would love to see the further adventures of an Enterprise like E or something. Like where you have some of the it's set in Picard era next gen time and you're following some of the next gen crew kind of going around. It would be fun to have something happening concurrently with Picard, like you had DS9 and Next Gen, where they're both in the same era but in different areas and they can occasionally run into each other. I think that would be a fun thing to have sort of an angel buffy a situation where you have a a storyline that begins on one episode of one show and goes to the next. So I think something that ran concurrently with Picard would be something that I would be very interested in um, for Next Gen Era stuff. Five worst. I'm going to put this out there. I think that the Captain Worf series that they wanted to do with Michael Dorn was a terrible idea. Um, And I understand why he'd want to do it. And I think that Worf is a glorious character. And I think that he's a a good actor for that role. Um, But I think that Worf exists best as a counterpoint to everyone else going on. And I don't just mean the tendency he has to get beaten up to prove how tough the oncoming alien is, which is, of course, what always happened on the on on next gen right he would either tell picard his his idea and picard would go no that's terrible let's do this other thing or he would go and and like somebody would be on the bridge and he'd rush toward them to fight them and then he'd get his arm broken and thrown over you know the railing and then you go ooh, these guys are tough they can even take on Worf. i think he probably gets beaten up more than he does beating up in next gen that changes a little bit in ds9 uh but i think that a captain Worf series would not really do it for me. Um, I will say the second part of that is I, for a while they were flouting like the idea of a Klingon series. And I think that discovery season one, although they didn't get the Klingons quite right um, in season one, I do think that what that made me aware of is I don't want a Klingon series. Klingons are weird and alien and they're, you know, they have a rich culture and, and it's awesome to see them in a few episodes here and there, but ultimately they're so unfamiliar that I think it would be hard to have a show that was just about here's a, a ship full of Klingons. Now, if you had that anthology series and you could have like four episodes of that, you know, or a short treks that centered around, you know, Klingons, something I would love to see that. That would be really interesting. But in terms of a whole Klingon series, I think that that would be uh, out for me. Um, I also think it would be a pretty terrible idea to continue Voyager. I think that Voyager ultimately has to be considered a failed series. Uh, I know a lot of people like it, um, but I think that it has far more detractors than it has people who really like it. Um, I don't... I don't consider it a totally failed series on my own, um, but I think that it's divisive enough among the fans that it doesn't really work as being continued. And its premise is gone, a premise that didn't really play with all that well. And if you take its premise away, it is basically next gen, but not as good. Um, So I think that a Voyager reunion series, and I know I'm going to piss some people off saying that it's a failed series. Look, if you love it, love it, man. I totally get it. There are things that I love that other people don't. And that's fine. Uh, you can disagree with me and that's fine uh, because I love that there's so much Star Trek. And if that is the one that you love the most, then great. You have something you love. And so I want to be positive about that, but I would not like to see a continuation of Voyager. I also think it would pretty be, be a bad idea to have a Kirk Spock centered, like a new original series. I think that that they, they made really good choices on how they handled two of the three uh, Star Trek movies with Chris Pine, but even then, 
all we could do was argue about how it was different than the original series. Um, you know, people, no matter what they did, no matter what they tried, they tried to make it more serious, more funny. They tried to make it more tongue in cheek. They tried to make it more straightforward. Whatever they did, we found something to complain about. And I think the reason for that is because it has nothing to do with the actual quality of the movies, which is fine. Um, but I think that we hold those so dear, right? There's, I'm trying to think of a, a of an aggregate for, like it's, it is so itself that anything that is done must be compared to itself. And even if somehow it was objectively better than the original series, even that statement would, if it were better, it would detract from the original series. And if it were not as good, they would also detract from the original series, in which case we don't want to do that. So I think, so that's four. I guess the, if I had to do a fifth series that I don't think would be great, um, gosh, I, I don't want to see something that is terribly dark. I think Picard and Discovery got quite dark enough. I hate that there's Star Trek that I can't share with my younger kids. Um, and I think Star Trek has always been and should always be a family show, uh, which is not to say I don't like Discovery and Picard. I love Picard. I think Picard's one of the best ever, actually. I know some people disagree, but I loved Picard. I'm just bummed that I couldn't share it. Um, so I don't want it to go any darker. I would not love to. You know, can I make my fifth one a movie I don't want? I don't want the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek. I don't want a Star Trek that is just like doesn't respect the spirit of the original and everything I heard about the Tarantino one, you know, Pulp Fiction in Space. Well, that's not Star Trek. That's not what I want. Um, so that's kind of be my fifth one. Uh, top five characters, Jason, from other fandom that you would have uh, for an episode of the week. Uh, oh, wait, first best worst ideas for a crossover. I can't do all of these. So I'm just going to give you some best idea for a crossover. My best that I can come up with is I think Doctor Who would fit really perfectly with Star Trek. And I think that that could be done without breaking the worlds too much. Um, you know, I think a Marvel Star Trek crossover could happen because they have a multiverse. So you could have a world where Marvel breaks into the multiverse and suddenly you have star trek i think that could be done um and i think the same thing you know you could do star trek star wars uh where you had them go to it'd be really interesting to do star trek star wars where if you said a long time ago in a galaxy far far away is let's say 500 years ago well what if that would put star trek you know the 24th century 400 years past that so 900 years future in star wars and you just have the Enterprise travels to another galaxy because it's in a galaxy far, far away. And somehow it finds itself in another galaxy and it's the Star Wars galaxy. That would be interesting to see. They're ultimately so different from one another. I think it would be hard to do. But yeah, I think that would be interesting. And uh, I can't do top five characters from another fandom. I'd have an episode of the week. Um, but uh, by the way, Star Trek versus Jason X, I think could be fun just out there. If It would have to be somehow not related to Star Trek, not canon, but how fun would it be to see something like Jason stalking and murdering a bunch of, like, I guess they sort of did that on Deep Space Nine, uh, which is, a, I forget the name of the episode, but it was a great episode where they ended up on Empok Nor and uh, a gas turned a bunch of Cardassians evil. And it was sort of like Jason X on a, on a space station. Uh, characters to cross over. Doctor Who would be great. Uh, Kylo Ren would be, would be interesting. Uh, I think it would be interesting to have a Marvel uh, a Marvel crossover. I guess if you had to have anybody crossover, I would love to see how Tony Stark interacts with, you know, because Star Trek is so 
everyone's sort of serious all the time. So to have someone who jumps in and is constantly cracking wise and is also the, still the smartest guy in the room, I think that it would be it would be interesting to have Tony Stark uh, there as well. So I think that would be some interesting stuff. So thank you, Jason, uh, for your ideas. We're going to jump over to some of the other things. Um, okay, uh, Hannah Mosqueda or Mosqueda, I, if I'm saying the if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I apologize. Asks, how did you feel about the newer Star Wars films? Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but I'll reiterate, uh, Alexi and I are of slightly different opinion, but essentially, I essentially like them. Um, I love Kylo Ren and I love, uh, I, I love the portrayal of, of Kylo Ren in it. Um, I think that it is incredibly well acted as a deep and rich character. And so I, I am thankful for Kylo Ren. I loved the legacy stuff. Um, I wept when Han Solo died. I'm sad he's dead, but I think it was interesting. I think the it's fun to see visually what J.J. Abrams really did right is manage to get that feel. You know, you can't watch the original Star Wars now and get the feeling that they would have gotten in the theater. And that's an important thing to think about. When they first went to theater, they'd never seen anything like that. And it seemed fast. It seemed fast and incredible. And the effects just made it so that you... You really felt it was punchy and, and, and nuts. Well, we're so used to that now, right? You watch the original Star Wars and it actually seems slow. It seems a little slow when you watch it. It's good. The storytelling is good. But there's a nostalgia level that's adding to that. One of the things they did really well, and I think about the opening sequence of Rise of Skywalker. Was it silly? Yeah. But it was so fast-paced, the Millennium Falcon running away. And there's a lot of that. The I think that the Force Awakens chase on Jakku with the Millennium Falcon and the two TIE Fighters is some of the best Star Wars action there's ever been. Um, I also think the same thing with the throne room, throne room fight in The Last Jedi. Also, some of the best Star Wars action there's ever been. Um, so, so they managed to give the action element of Star Wars the update that it needed to the point where I would almost love to see J.J. Abrams do some second unit reshoots on the original trilogy to take what is there, and, and I'm not talking the whole movie, but I'm talking specifically the the space scenes, I think are, not that especially Empire is wonderful, and I'm not saying that they're dated, but I'm saying that, that there's a punchiness to what he was able to achieve that makes me think that must have what it been, that must have been what it was like the first time the original Star Wars was seen by audiences in 1977. So I am a big fan of what they managed to do visually and when it came to the action stuff. When it comes to some of the choices that were made, I think that there is a fundamental flaw in the way that they made it. And I lay this you know, squarely at the heels of, of Kathleen Kennedy, who's been running Lucasfilm, who had an idea and the idea didn't work. I don't want to vilify the woman. She's not a monster. You know, she's a lady who's trying to make some some good stuff and she's made she's been an amazing producer in the past she is she is dry, trying her best i don't think she's not trying her best i think that she was excited to bring it on but one thing she, she didn't do is you keep in mind lucas had stuff planned out he knew the past and the future he had the whole world built out in his mind and if you look at this if you look at star wars the new ones they didn't have a plan they didn't know how it was going to end jj had a little bit of a plan when he made the first one but kathleen kennedy turned it over to ryan johnson and said go ahead and make whatever movie you're gonna make go ahead and do it just make make whatever you're gonna do he decided to make the last jedi and ryan johnson is all about subverting expectations you need to know that when you watch his stuff you watch knives out it completely subverts your expectations in wonderful ways it deserves all the acclaim 
acclaim that it got. He's a wonderful filmmaker. But he didn't treat it like it was part of a larger story in The Last Jedi. He set out on purpose to subvert the things that happened in The Force Awakens. From the moment that Luke throws away the lightsaber to the moment that Rey is told that she's nothing and her parents come from nothing to just across the board, he wanted to subvert what your expectations were going to be. And the problem with that is, is that's not the story that J.J. was telling. And you can tell that. You know that. If you go back and watch The Force Awakens, when Rey goes up to Luke Skywalker on that hill, the, the intended story was for that moment to be big and leading into something big. And instead, it led into something not big. And when you have everyone going, who's that girl? And when she picks up the lightsaber and you hear Obi-Wan Kenobi going, these are your first steps. And she reaches out and she hears the Jedi and it's calling out to her specifically. And then you find out that she's no one and she's nobody. Why did the lightsaber choose her? What is it like? It was set up that she was supposed to be someone. And Ryan Johnson completely subverted that idea. Now, do I think that it was sloppily handled in how to... So, so let me put it this way. At the end of The Last Jedi... There are aspects of the Last Jedi I don't like. Uh, the, I don't like the slow chase in space. I think it's ridiculous that that the First Order doesn't turn around and just light speed past them and blow them up. Um, I don't think. I, I think it's sort of ridiculous that that Haldo maneuver where she can destroy an entire you know fleet with one ship. It's never been tried before, and that it would work the way that it did. Um, I like the Mary Poppins in space bit. I actually think it's kind of moving, but I can get why other people like there were chuckles in the theater and there weren't supposed to be. It was not doing what it was supposed to do. Um, you know, I think that that I liked the fake out at the end, but Luke dying is sort of disappointing. It would have been great to see him back together. So there are things where I think the movie did mess up, but ultimately Last Jedi is a movie I like. Um, and I saw many times in the theater and I think there are beautiful parts of it. Like I said, the throne room is great. And I think the Yoda scene in it is wonderful. It's like really very touching the words, you know, anyone who's out there who has kids and contemplates this sort of thing, when Yoda says they are what we grow beyond, that is a difficult thing to hear when you're a parent, because it's so true. It, it, you know, your children are, you are everything to your children until they grow beyond you and they don't need you anymore. And that's hard. Hard. That's a hard truth that Yoda's willing to to give. And the irony of him going all, you know, that Rey has all that she needs and what she has is she actually has the Jedi books. I think that that is a really funny little bit of filmmaking. I think that's good. So there's lots in Last Jedi I like. The problem is, is that it doesn't put it, and I don't like the Canto Bite sequence, by the way, um, but it doesn't like put the toys away neatly for the next person to play. It broke all the toys. So you start the next movie and it seems weird that the, the, they're not the they're they're not the alliance. What what are they even called anymore? The New Republic, whatever they are. Um, they don't they, suddenly they have all the ships they need again because you have to. You can't just have them go, hey, we have four ships, let's make a Star Wars movie, because the expectation of Star Wars movie is a big space battle. You you need to have that. That's part of a Star Wars movie. Um, you know, having Palpatine come back, I don't I, I'm so torn on it. Palpatine somehow Palpatine returned the way they brought him back is terrible. I got to tell you, I love Ian McDermott. I love seeing Palpatine. I love his portrayal of Pal Palpatine. I'll watch him do it all day long. I would watch him as Palpatine reading stereo instructions. He is such a delight and he is having so much fun. I'm almost willing to, to be okay with it. But the fact that he has 70 million Star Destroyers who are planet killers and that that can be taken out by a band of ships, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, it, it's... 
it's you know there 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 are things that just don't make sense, and that's a real problem. Um, there's a lot of flash, there's a lot of flair, there's a lot of Rise of Skywalker that's about finding the key that points you to the map that brings you to the thing that lets you do the other thing, um, and that's ultimately sort of unsatisfying. But I think that the lightsaber battles are great. I love the lightsaber battle that happens back and forth in force time. I'm not really sure how it's working, but it's really cool. I love it visually. Like I said, I love the the light speed hopping thing that they do at the beginning. I think that's great. I think that 3PO is used wonderfully. I just, I really like that. So I like, think Babu Frick is a wonderful little character. I think JJ's really good at creating characters. Um, he's really good at creating characters, actually. Um, he's not very good at, at sticking the landing on his stories, unfortunately. And so that's that's sort of how I feel. Ultimately, I think they're about as good as the prequels um, for different reasons. I think the prequels have good stories with terrible scripts and and the acting sort of w- wooden. Uh, but I think that they expand the universe in wonderful ways. And I and I like them. And I like these. I'll be honest. I don't watch these as much when I do rewatches. I watch the originals and then I watch the prequels and then I watch Rogue One and then I'll watch like th- then I'll watch Solo and then I watch these least of all. There is a disposability to these that Star Wars has never had for me. And you know, even the people who hate the prequels. I think that ultimately what disappoints me about the new ones is that I am more ambivalent. They're sort of like the medium level Marvel movies that I I like them. I like them. I enjoy them. But, you know, Star Wars should feel to me like Endgame and Infinity War and the first Avengers and Iron Man 1 and Civil War it should feel like that. But these Star Wars movies feel more like, you know, Ant-Man, Iron Man 3, the first Captain America movie. You know, it, it's they're, they're good. Doctor Strange, they're good. I, I don't dislike them, but I don't often go back to them because, you know, I got the, I got, I don't think I, I got most of the enjoyment I can get out of them. I've already gotten that. And so with so much Star Wars to choose from, why would I go, you know, it's like the, the rewatchability isn't there as much. I'm sure I'll rewatch them again. Um, but the desire to do that is not there so much. Look, it spawned, you know, you want to talk about the era, you know, there's this thing saying the the other Star Wars trilogy that you've gotten that we haven't talked much about, which is the 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 story of the, the story of the in-between stuff starting with the end of Clone Wars into Rogue One um and Rebels is like a trilogy of stories that tells basically up to the minute what happens from the end of the prequels to the beginning of of the original Star Wars. And that story has now been told and it's a rich and deep um, text. So I feel like that is a trilogy of Star Wars that people don't talk about. Um, And Solo, I guess, can be thrown in there too. And then there's the Mandalorian that is doing so well at at starting to flesh out the immediate post-Return of the Jedi time. And that's going to be another rich text that we're going to have. Um, so I think that the new era of Star Wars, I, I'll put it right out there. I think the last season of Clone Wars, and I think that Rebels, and I think that The Mandalorian um, are some of the best Star Wars that there's ever been. And and there are far more hours of that than there are of any of the movies put together. So I think that you have to consider the Disney era as also con- containing, and Rogue One, and solo, like I think it contains lots of good Star Wars, but it's hit and miss, which, you know, frankly, let's call a spade a spade. Even from Return of the Jedi, you know, it still had the Ewoks, right? There were still iffy things to think about. Star Wars has been hit and miss ever since then, and certainly ever since the special editions came out and Greedo shot first. There's been a hit and miss aspect to Star Wars, but when it hits, it still hits. So thank you, Hannah. 
Um, Liz Khan, a uh, uh, wonderful Liz Khan, uh, who I will take 10 seconds to shout out here as being one of the people who made it so I could survive high school. So thank you, Liz. As can we discuss the deep philosophical issues that Enterprise brought to their viewers? Now, everyone will remember who's listened to the show that Enterprise is my least favorite of all the Star Treks, including like Lower Decks. Enterprise is dead last. So... I am going to be pretty bad at at talking about some of the philosophies that it espoused, including, you know, the fact that it seemed to espouse Captain Archer gets captured a lot. Um, There's a bunch of stuff in season four you can talk about, stuff about whether or not we should, how we consider eugenics. Um, and how we should treat, and this started in Deep Space Nine, how we should treat people who are genetically modified because it's not their fault that they were. They were born the way they were born and how should we treat them um, and and justified stuff in there. But I think that there is some philosophy that the show Enterprise brought to um, the viewers in season three, uh, which is the season that was made in response to 9-11. It clearly is. Season three of Enterprise basically has a massive, for lack of a better term, terrorist attack on Earth that just destroys part of Florida and kills millions of people. And then Enterprise goes on a mission to destroy the people who did that to Earth before they can attack again. And it's the idea of preemptive striking against um, against an enemy. And how do you do that? And should you do that? And there's a good philosophical discussion about the end justifying the means and about whether it's okay to preemptively strike if you think that the people that you're going... like. Like, how many moral compromises are you willing to make for the greater good? Um, And I think that is, you know, I think that is really the strongest moral argument that comes out of Enterprise. I think that the the determination is made because they do go to some dark places and they make some moral compromises and they're sorry that they did so. And they learn through that season that the end does not, in fact, justify any means, even if it is for the greater good. And I think that that is an interesting exploration to take. Um, I think that it also it made it for a show that is maybe a little less Star Trekky than I would like it to be. But given the time that we were in and that we were immediately post 9-11, like I said, I think that Enterprise raised the right questions for the right time, which is what Star Trek should always do. So I think that in terms of the questions, the moral quandaries that, are, that were raised, I do have to give Enterprise some credit for taking an entire season to work out whether America should be going to to fight the terrorists at home so they don't come hit us here. Um, it, was it okay for us to go kill hundreds of thousands because we're scared they're going to come here and kill ones of thousands? I don't want to be the one to answer that question. I have an opinion, um, but I think that Enterprise does tackle that question pretty pretty well. So thank you. Um, Ethan Saperstein uh, asks, who is the best Trek captain? Why is it Michael Burnham? Um, it's not Michael Burnham, in my opinion. I think Michael Burnham has been a Trek captain for such a short amount of time that we have not seen her quality as a Trek captain yet. Could she become the best Trek captain? Sure. She's set up to be it. She certainly is the best first officer. And yes, I know there were other first officers through the entire time. She didn't get to be first officer very much, but she is so dedicated. She is the perfectly think outside the box, loyal member of the crew who, going back to the Enterprise discussion, is willing to bend the rules if she thinks it's the right thing to do. Um, ultimately, I don't know how she's going to be as a captain. A captain's role is different than a first officer's role and should definitely have a different personality. And I think that being the best track captain means that you need to be the best 
best track track captain for your ship. For instance, Kirk would have been a terrible track captain for the Enterprise D. It would not have fit on that ship very well at all. He would not. I mean, I think Captain Jellico, who took over for Picard very briefly, is a much more Kirky captain. And I don't think that he would have. He didn't fit right. I don't think Kirk and Riker and and Crusher. I can't see how Kirk fits on that ship. Uh, Kirk needed a first officer who was more, um, who was less passionate, who brings him down to earth. I think you need that combination, that Lennon-McCartney combination, where the the magic exists and the strain between the tendency to do more out of left field and the tendency to follow the rules and follow them well, I think that that tension is where greatness arises from. And I think that so far we've seen that Saru uh, with Michael are the best team, but we haven't seen her as a captain yet. So I would love to see her as a captain, just maybe not in those terrible uniforms from the last uh, episode of Discovery, because they were terrible. They looked like they were made out of felt. Uh, but I think that Michael has the opportunity to be a best track captain. Now, is she the best track character? She's up there. I think that the quality of the actress, I think, uh, is is part of it. I think that it's incredibly well performed. She's a deep and rich character uh, who is empowered um, in in so many wonderful ways. And I love her as a character. Is she the best track captain? Uh, to be determined. Uh, Larry Larry Reclusado says, review the movies in your, your order, best to worst. So I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to do this on paper while we're talking. Um, so we are going to be talking about these movies. And here's the release order. The Motion Picture, The Wrath of Khan, The Search for Spock, The Voyage Home, The uh, Final Frontier, The Undiscovered Country, uh, Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, Nemesis, Star Trek, Into Darkness, and um, Beyond. And those are all the Star Trek movies in order from best to worst. Um, I'm going to do it a little differently because I'm going to do it from worst to best. And, you know, this is always, you know, as I've always said, my opinion could change on any given day. So you could, you know, ask me tomorrow and this might be something different. But worst to best, here's my opinion. Uh, worst of all of them, I'm going to say is Insurrection is the worst of all of them, followed uh, followed very closely by The Final Frontier. And after The Final Frontier, I'm going to put The Motion Picture. And after The Motion Picture, I'm probably going to put Nemesis. And I think we're done with all the bad ones. I think Into Darkness will be the next one after that. Um, I think that you can put, um, gosh, now they now they get so good right i think we can put the search for spock after that uh i think we'll put the voyage home right after that for me um i think that you get and this is my personal favorite not best but my personal character first contact is next then jj abrams star trek is after that um they're getting to my favorite ones of each kind um i think that i know this is controversial i understand that the wrath of khan is probably the best of all of them it's the fan favorite. It's the it's the most important of all of them. I get it, but I'm going to put it there um, because it's not even my favorite of the originals. Then uh, I'm going to put uh, the I'm going to put Generations, the Undiscovered Country, which is my favorite of the original, um, and Beyond. But I don't think that belongs on top, so I'm going to move Beyond under the Undiscovered Country and yeah, Beyond. So in order, uh, Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country is number one. Star Trek: Beyond is number two. Star Trek: Generations is number three. The 
Wrath of Khan is number four. J.J. Abrams' Star Trek is number five. Star Trek First Contact, number six. The Voyage Home, number seven. Search for Spock, number eight. Star Trek Into Darkness, number nine. Nemesis, number 10. The Motion Picture, number 11. The Final Frontier, number 12. And Star Trek Insurrection is coming in at number 13. Uh, For me, I'll give you the reason why Insurrection is insipid and dumb and actually poisons the characters for me. Whereas I think The Undiscovered Country is the realization of just sort of the best storytelling you can do. It's politically important. It's good action. It's good drama. There's a good amount of humor. The acting is great. Um, I think Star Trek Beyond, just so you understand why that's so high for me, it's the most like the original Trek. I just am smiling the entire time in it. Um, and I've never been so happy in a Star Trek film as I have been when the Beastie Boys show up at the end. Um, it's, it's, I know it's dumb and that might be the thing that kills it for everybody else. But for me, I cheered, I stood up in my seat and probably spilled some popcorn. So yeah, that's that. Um, top five non, uh, Brian McCrowan asks, uh, top five non-humanoid alien species and why? Okay, number one, I'm going to say Q. Yes, I understand that he is presented to us as a humanoid and it's how he interacts with us, but he is kind of whatever he wants to be and he's choosing to interact with us in that way. And he is so alien in his abilities and the way that he thinks and the way they explored it, especially on Voyager. I think that um, I think the Q has to be number one uh, for me. Um, number two also presented as uh, as humanoid, but I'm going to say the Doctor from Voyager. Um, the desire to be human that he has, um, and the the fact that he exists as a computer program, uh, I think is pretty great. I almost want to put Data there, but Data is physically humanoid, so I am going to. St- uh, not allow data to be on it. Um, non-humanoid species. Now it gets really interesting um, because there are, I have to sort of think across the board for all the things that we've seen um, because I want to say the Borg, right? But they're also presented to us as human and I feel like I end up uh, cheating. Um, there was an episode where uh, where they were mining and I can't remember if it was the original series or next gen, but there were um, there were a bunch of, uh, the, we were mining a planet and you found out that that planet was uh, was in fact had sentient stuff on it. And I and I thought that, that that was really interesting and that always stuck with me and I wish I could remember which one it was. But, I guess that would be my number three. Um, I loved the episode with the exocomps, which were uh, little robots that became sentient. Uh, that when they when they became sentient, you had to discover like what they liked, what they didn't, what they didn't like. Um, and and the idea of an emerging species uh, a- obtaining AI was something that that really appealed to me. And as a fifth best non-humanoid species. I feel like Species 8472 became pretty interesting on Voyager um, for a species that started out as a always sort of badly rendered CG. The fact that their story ended up being that you made peace with them through understanding after seeing them originally just as a monster, I thought was um, I thought was really interesting. I, I think you can also put in there um, the trill uh, because I love the idea of the slug that passes on itself from, from person to person in the symbiotic relationship that's there but again it presents to us as the audiences as humanoids so 
Maybe I'm speciesist. I'm not sure. Brian also asked, um, humanoid Star Trek species parallels for Tolkien species. Okay. I think that's, uh, I mean, I think you can start off the Vulcans, uh, line up with the elves fairly well. I think that the Klingons, uh, line up with the dwarves fairly well, although they have some elven things to them. I think that Starfleet, um, humans line up fairly well with the people of Gondor, um, in the 24th century. And I think that the 23rd century humans line up with the Roheran fairly well. Um, I think that you could have the Q lining up with, um, with the council of wizards, uh, fairly well, and that they just kind of know more and they, they tolerate the people around them. Uh, hobbits, I think, I, I don't know there how well an aggregate for hobbits there are. I, unless you want to say enterprise era humans, um, sort of how ho- I think of course, all of the Tolkien species species, sort of line up with different aspects of humanity and that's what makes them so kind of wonderful but I think uh, the hobbits are, I, if Q was nice he would be a good Tom Bombadil I guess um, and uh, yeah that's sort of my best aggregate as we're there um, so here is the thing uh you have asked, uh, Brian has also asked, third question, how would you have made better use of the cetacean crew in the shows and movies? And I'm not really sure who the cetacean crew are, so I'm gonna look that up. Cetacean Star Trek. The cetaceans are, there. that's what I thought, they're just the whales and the whale crew members. Um, Brian, I don't have an answer for you, sir. I don't know. Um, I guess you could have had some underwater adventures. Um, but I'm not, uh, I, I'm not, I don't know how you could do that better. I thank you for all of your questions, uh, including this very strange one. Um, Russell Hankins, a uh, good old Russ who uh, played a Klingon with me when I was uh, playing a Romulan, said Pakleds, the most underutilized storyline species in the Star Trek universe. Um, I think that there are, um, I think that there are interesting questions to be asked of the Pakleds. How do you treat a species that is intellectually, clearly intellectually inferior to you? And I think that, I, I know that you meant it mostly as a joke, but I do think that the question has not been dealt with quite enough to go, what if there is a species who is just never going to be quite as smart and capable as humans, but they have in every other way, you know, made it possible for them to have Federation membership. We're very used to humans being the inferior species in the room. They always are. They're not as strong as the Klingons. Klingons who, despite their aggressive warlike nature, seem to have pretty good engineers. They're, They're pretty good at building ships. They're pretty good at organizing, you know, infrastructure for the military. Uh, so, so the Klingons are capable in every way humans are, but also bigger, stronger, and faster. Romulans are the same. Vulcans are the same. You know, every species we walk into a room with have things that we don't. We are always the less, the lesser species in the room, and then our gumption is how we see through. So, how we treat other species, I think, is um, and and how we treat species who are I don't want to say inferior, but don't have everything that we have, and who do, are just as deserving as our respect should demand as much respect as we as humans would demand from the other species who are superior to us. I think it's a storyline that could have been played a little bit and having it, you know, be that the tendency to talk down to them, the tendency to not be as kind to them as we could be the tendency to not treat them with respect, but treat them with some sort of tolerance or pity. Um, I think is w- would be an interesting story to to tell whereby we sort of learn the value of what they add. I think that could have been really interesting. Um, so Jeff Pollier, uh has has got a bunch of questions for us. I'm going to skip some of them because some of them I don't know. 
Um, but I'll say the ones that I want. Birds of Prey, Romulan, or Klingon, uh, specifically Romulan, Balance of Terror, Bird of Prey, or Klingon, Search, of, for, search for Spock, Bird of Prey. I'm always going to go with the Romulans. Um, the, the Klingon Battlecruiser I like better, but the Romulan Bird of Prey, the idea of a Bird of Prey is a bird of prey that hides in the shadows and might pop out and get you. And I feel like that was done much better with the Romulans, except if you were to ask me the Klingon bird of prey from the Undiscovered Country, which functions essentially like the bird of prey in um, Balance of Terror from the Romulan point of view, then I think you would have an almost even thing. But if you're asking me to compare those two bird of preys and the way that they were used, I feel like that's the only time the Klingon bird of prey has been used quite as effectively as the Romulan bird of prey. And of course, everybody knows that I am uh, biased toward the Rom- Romulans. Uh, we're gonna go down uh, best uh, cross like people dressing up. Who played a Romulan better? Captain Kirk is a Romulan from the Enterprise incident, or Counselor Troy is a Romulan from Face of the Enemy. In that case, I'm gonna go for Counselor Troy as a Romulan. We actually used both of those episodes when um, we were training to when I was training to play a Romulan. Uh, Paramount Parks had us watch both of those episodes, and I think that the Counselor Troy episode is better. I don't think that Kirk is a Romulan ever kind of becomes not not Kirkish. Whereas I think Counselor Troy really has to, she has problems at the beginning. She learns to stretch herself by the end and get into the Romulan mindset. So I got to give that young Spock in yesteryear or young Picard and Rascals. Um, I'm going to go for young Spock in yesteryear. Um, I like a little bit better and I do like they took some of that uh, for the original, for JJ Star Trek. I love that there's some of that is played out in there. And I think that's a, it's a fun episode, probably the best episode of, um, if I remember, I think yesteryear is an animated series episode, isn't it? I'm just going to look real quick. Uh, yesteryear Trek is indeed an animated series episode. Yeah, I think that's probably the best episode of the animated series. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, and then finally, First Officer Gains Infinite Powers, Gary Mitchell, where no man has gone before, or Will Riker, Hyde and Q. Gary Mitchell, of course. Um, Gary Mitchell is is I, I think that the fact that Will Riker got to be a Q is easily forgotten, but Gary Mitchell will never be. Uh, so that is that. Finally, um uh Michelle Sadier, uh, who is uh, who I'm, I'm killing that name. Um, but it's my dear friend, uh, Daniel Ross, who Daniel Ross is wonderful. Mom asks, uh, how do you say live long and prosper in Vulcan? I know. I don't know. I don't know how to say that in Vulcan. Um, I tried to look it up <coughs> and what I found, um, and I lost the page is that it's been used different ways. Um, here, I'm going to look it up right now. Uh, live long, prosper Vulcan. So it's been said different ways, depending on where you go. Um, when it was said in the show, um, it was used for the first time in Star Trek The Motion Picture, and Diftor Hes Musma is the way it was used then. Although in fan fiction um, and in the novel Spock's world, it is Menesekat Urseva as the way to say it. In the early 1970s, fans would say peace and long life as Pastak Vodora Lakshe. Um, so these are the different ways that it can be said. So that is, um, that is the answer to that. I didn't know that, but I thank you for for having me look that up. Um, and that is, uh, I don't think there are any more. Um, yeah, that's it. Those are the, that, that's the grab bag. We get a whole episode of Trek off out of that. My throat hurts. I've been talking a lot. It's been crazy. Um, uh, rest assured, Alexia will be coming back. Uh, she uh, may be taking a couple more episodes up, off. She may not be as she uh, recuperates from her um, sens- sensual battle with, uh, with horny Klingons. 
uh, so when she comes back, she'll have to tell uh, her many, many escapades and how uh, we will learn for sure that Worf was indeed being gentle with Dax because goodness gracious, Alexia and a bunch of rowdy Klingons, um, I, I almost feel guilty and feel bad for those Klingons because she is quite the incredible woman uh, and I miss her and we're going to see her really soon. But for now... Uh, thank you for all of this. Thank you for putting up with my voice for an hour. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, this has been Trek Off. My name is Justin. As as Alexi would say, Trek Off, bitches. Just one more reminder before you go to go to Totally Super on wherever you subscribe to podcasts, whatever you're listening to this on, search for Totally Super and hear me and Arthur review every superhero movie ever made. It's an awesome show. I think you'll love it. Okay. Thanks for listening.